Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Podcast with myself, Roy Shanahan, David Buggle and Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com. Now, today while we were discussing the layout and the topics for the podcast, Neil sent on a list of topics. Well, it was more a, a list of rants about the modern game. So tonight we've renamed the football podcast to Do You Know What Pisses Me Off About The Football Podcast? Okay, here we go. Neil, let's do this. Uh Penalty misses and teams without specialist penalty takers. By the way, yeah, uh, I I don't get this right. Like you know, at our measly level, right? I took penalties under the left back, uh, scored more often than not. But it's a specialised position in the Premier League when you're when you're going for big trophies and you're going for three points in the Premier League. How on earth does every team not have a specialist penalty taker? And Man City are the epitome of this. It's like five or six penalty takers. Aguero was never a decent penalty taker anyway. Uh, his, uh, his his stats were terrible. Um, they had Rodri take one there the other day and I think Pep Guardiola nearly had a heart attack. It's just unbelievable to see the amount of penalties missed. And then you had Brighton the other day who missed two, one of which was a horror show, one of which you can call unlucky. But uh, it's costing teams points and I just don't get why every team, you know, do they practice them? Do they have a guy that's at him every day, an hour behind? I don't know what way to do. I think Shearer said a match of the day, he practiced penalties with the, either reserve keeper or the, um, the under-23s keeper for an hour three times a week after training. So how the hell do they don't all do that now? I don't know. There seems to be a lot of big heads or big egos in, in these teams. And you've seen it the other day with Declan Rice and Lingard, maybe the other week. At where Lingard wanted to take the penalty, had the ball in his hand, and Rice actually went over to him in a, in a very, very calm manner and placed his hands on the ball and said, Listen, Jesse, um, I'm the designated penalty taker. If I don't take this penalty, I'm going to get off a shit off the manager. So I need to take this penalty. And he just gave him the ball and he, and he went on. But there seems to be a lot more Bugo players that want to, you know, they feel if they get this penalty, they deserve to be able to take this penalty. And a lot more stepping outside the, the, the zone. And maybe managers need to hammer this in to everyone. Listen, no one else touch it or you're in trouble. Oh, yeah, there should be a nominated uh, penalty taken before the game is, or before the game starts because there's nothing worse than you see. There's been many instances over the, over the years where somebody's trying to pull the ball off the other person and they're looking at the manager and the manager is kind of like, oh, for Jesus. Um, so it should be it should be done and dusted before the game starts. But um, the one thing I will say, there is a specialised uh, taker in every penalty in in every club, and in my opinion, it's the striker. How are most clubs strikers not taking all the penalties? It's incredible how how little there is. And then one or two of them, their record is not good enough. Exactly what Neil said there. Like Shearer practices them every every week, and they have shooting practice pretty much after training. Most clubs and most yeah, strikers will do it. So why aren't they practicing a minimum an hour or two hours a week with with uh, taking the penalties? Like it's just like I remember having a go in the studio with you, Roy, uh, at the English women's team with Adam White never t- taking the penalties, and they they missed two penalties in two games, two separate people, and she's standing there in the shadows hiding, and she's our main striker, and she got golden boot or whatever it was. Why wouldn't she take it? Like that's her job. Like it's like 
what I'm probably going to talk about later on. There's too many, every position or most of the game nowadays, it's been diluted. Like midfielders, you have to be either defensive or attacking, defend or wing, um, fullbacks have to be wingers or whatever. Strikers are there to score goals. That's their one job, their ultimate job. So technically, there is a specialist in every team. But it's very strange how it's not necessarily always the striker. Are they afraid to give it to them in case they miss that it loses their confidence? Like, I don't know. I don't get it. Why, why most teams it should be it should be the striker? Well, Man City don't have a striker uh, playing for them at the moment, so maybe that's the mix up there. Uh, I know Jesus Jesus pops in every now and again, but then again, there's there's a lack Neil of good quality centre forwards, isn't there in the Premier League? Bar obviously you've got Harry Kane. Yeah, Harry Kane is kind of uh, the old-fashioned English centre-forward, but he's definitely a dying breed. Um, most teams seem to be sacrificing, especially over maybe the last five to seven years, the kind of number nine, the proper number nine, and they're going with two wide men. You know, they give Liverpool doing it, City do it very well. Um, a lot of teams are, 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 are adopting this approach at the moment. Um, even Giroud, who is a kind of a target man, you don't get a lot of them these days, and the reason is because he's no pace. Um, but it is interesting, yeah, but I don't understand why they're going away from that method now. Are we not producing players? Are we, you know, Ireland have that problem. I think more often we, we've brought it up on the show before why we're not producing centre-forwards anymore. Um, maybe we should be asking now why we're not producing the kind of winger, the attacking winger types that are scoring goals because maybe that's the next maybe five to ten years of what we should be looking for. Yeah, 100%. Dave? Your thoughts on that? Why why haven't we got centre forwards anymore that can score goals? Really, there seems to be, or is it just the style of football now that that they're not looking for the goals off the centre forwards now that they there's a lot more talent uh, on the wings. Yeah, like it's very much now where the centre forward, or you don't want to give the position a disservice because they're not really. It's it's like it's the left and right winger, and then there's a guy in the middle who is a bit like what I said, a false nine who kind of comes in and helps the midfield and then frees up the space in the middle for the left and right wingers to come in and tuck in and basically cause a bit of mayhem and a bit of confusion with the centre half so that kind of last man up top like Chelsea back in the day with Drogba or any United strikers in the Fergie's era or your Owens and Fowlers and Liverpool's and like even what um, you said there about Harry Kane and even Giroud they're, they're not that go through every team from top to bottom apart from maybe Vardy and Kane there isn't that many out and out strikers um, and it, 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 it's sad and it's a dying breed but I think it's down to more how teams want to set themselves up now don't get me wrong I think there is a bit of a lack in depth and talent in strikers which we'll allude to in a little while while that's why some of the young fellas that are out there at the moment are such hot property but, Neil, or, but Dave, Dave didn't Liverpool prove last year that you know, don't need a top quality uh, centre forward who bangs in 20, 25, 30 goals. You look at, look at, sorry, just just go back to France there. France in the last World Cup, Giroud was up there, didn't score a goal. When France won the World Cup in 98, Givers didn't score a goal, but they won the, the World Cup in those two occasions. So they, there is a case that it, it doesn't, you don't always have to have a centre forward who, who bangs in those amount of goals to, to be an effective team. You have to you have to have a, 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 a pot of goals. It's as simple as that. And with Liverpool, they have it with front three because they are front three. They're not midfield, and they never have been. Manny and and Salah are forwards, so there's, he's not a stereotypical classic centre forward or striker at Liverpool. But the other two are forwards, whether we like it or not. Yeah, the wing forwards. 
win over the air, but that's what they are. So we are still getting the goals. It's just not from the stereotypical guy in the middle. Yeah, but he's not. A cent- he's not they're they're not centre forwards though. Like that's what we're talking about. Pure out no, and out centre forwards. The importance of centre forwards is not quite there as much yeah, now because yeah. most goals are coming from left and right wing, and there is a. And I don't necessarily think. Well, actually, you know what? It could be down to the fact that there is a lack of talent, as we, we mentioned earlier on when we were texting each other. There is hot property for that. 20-25 goal a season striker because there's not that many of them out there at the moment straight away you'd say Kane and maybe Vardy in, in England and then Lewandowski in, in Germany and then after that you're you're scratching your head obviously the up and coming would be your Haaland and Mbappe but then there's time it doesn't the rest of them are Ronaldo's were winger Messi, Messi was wingers then your Salas and Manny's are wingers Sterling and say with City it's your Maris's and Bernardo Silvers are wingers um, United's don't have a centre forward which they're screaming out for. It's the goals are coming from obviously Fernandez and out wide, and it's the same. Uh, Aubameyang plays out wide, and Pepe is out wide with the other. Lacazette is is irrelevant whether he plays or not because the goals don't really come from the middle. So it it could be a bit of a mixture of the way the game has gone slash they're not there anymore. That sniper of a of a goal scorer like Ruben van Nistelrooy, he's struggling nowadays in the modern game potentially. Um, to, to fit in like they'd have to completely change the style of the team if they were to get a player like that yeah yeah. Neil we, do, we go back to the penalties because we, we, you're, you're calming down there we want to go back and then stir you up a little bit <laughs> the uh, the run up for penalties uh, you were talking about the Brighton game against West Brom the other day uh, you wanted to talk about that yeah, so there, there's a couple of aspects of this, right? So number one, you've limited the goalkeepers to what they can do. You've made them stay in the line, and I think you've taken an advantage away from the goalkeeper where they could just come off by a yard to get that kind of spring into the corner. Because at the end of the day, a lot of the goalkeeper work is guesswork or, you know, a premeditated, you know, he, he's gone left the last two or right the last three or whatever. So you've stifled the goalkeepers, number one. So you would imagine automatically that means there's going to be more penalties scored. Um, then on the other hand you have lads uh, like Fernandez, who does his mad jump before the kick um, guy off Chelsea who uh, he does kind of a half step you know he does a half step in beforehand um, you know there's all different ways of taking it but the one at, um, at Brighton the other day pa- uh, Pascal Gross he literally stopped on the run up like he took two steps it, you can call it a pause all you want but he literally stopped dead and then continued the keeper was on the ground by the time he hit the ball off the bar. Um, I just think you're giving the striker or the, the penalty taker literally every chance in the world to put the ball into the net. Um, and I don't think it's fair. I think it should be a run-up with no no pauses, no nothing. Even the Pogba thing, the big delay of a run-up, what a load of absolute crap. You know, it should be literally run-up, Alan Shearer style, pick your corner, and if you hit it, you know, true and fine, and fine it got finds the back of the net job done um, I don't like the automatic advantage for the strikers I think the goalkeeper should have a little bit of help um, it's an advantage not meant to be an automatic situation where they're going to score the goal and even at that you still have lads that can't take a bloody penalty properly Dave when you look at some of the penalties and do you remember John Aldridge used to do that little stutter before he yeah, took yeah. took a penalty then they outlawed it didn't they so they, he was doing it for a while they got rid of it for a while and all of a sudden it just seems to be there was no rule there was no talk about any rule here it just seems to have eased its way back in I don't always think yeah. that it's of any benefit even for the striker I think it kind of sometimes puts him in doubt especially if uh, the reason why they'll say that is to try and force 
the goalkeeper into making a move and then once they see where he's moving they'll put it the other way but sometimes your brain might work that way and you're going to go to the left no matter what and you do your stutter and he goes left and so do you because the brain mightn't quite click in because some of these guys don't think quick enough. You know, a lot of people say pick your spot and go for it because you've only a couple of seconds in your room. Now, obviously, that's why a lot of these guys delay it, why they do a little jump. But if anything, that needs to be practiced 10 hours a week because you really need to have quickness in, in mind to watch where the keeper is going and then get your eyes back on the ball and put it left or right. And then the other penalty that gets overdone now, and it's just pure ego, lad, is the panache, the little dink. Like anyone who does that now, it's just for ego. It's not to score a goal. It's just, it's, well, obviously it is to score a goal, but it's not, it's just to show off and say, look at me. Remember, I think it was Adam Ola Luckman. He actually, I think he put up a bit of a, oh, yeah. Bit. And then he did it and looked at Fulham. And it's for nothing else. It was for himself. It wasn't for the benefit of Fulham. And he made a ball of it. And Gary Lineker will tell you the same. He was going to break the English record. And what did he do? He tried to dink and it blew up in his face and it was beautiful. But that was just ego. And, and that's your parallel. Yeah, exactly. And Zidane did it in the in the World Cup final. That was for nothing other than for show. Like it's 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 it, that's the way. It's like that, that was a one-off fluke, not fluke, but just a bit of genius. But now nowadays, I don't think it's a real. I wouldn't class it as it shouldn't be because it's a very high risk, but uh, and a, a very little reward because you have the score in the story. But whenever you don't, if I was that manager or anyone or even the fans, I would be no best place. Well, when you're, so, when you're when you're nil nil and you have a chance to win a game, especially when Fulham are down <laughs> near the bottom of the table, and they they miss a penalty and it costs them two points, it's a little different than being four nil up and you get a penalty and you're you're, you're looking just to finish off, polish up, polish it off. Then, um, Neil, wasting time, players wasting time, rolling around, overreacting, giving frees away and picking the ball up, then walking away with it. How how is all this being allowed? Like the game seems to be getting out of hand in every direction between VAR and all these little incidents where it seems to be okay to fake and feign injury and roll around ten times. It's not even that it hasn't happened before. It just seems to be getting more and more integrated into the game, and it's happening more often. Yeah, so this is obviously me getting old, older, right? Grumpy old man and all that. But sometimes you just want to see a game of football, a flowing game of football. So the Leeds Villa game the other night, sitting at home watching it, um, it was kind of a, you know, old-fashioned Leeds are attacking, they're constantly on the go, you know, full of energy, and Villa just sat there and went, yeah, we're not going to let you do this, which they're entitled to do, that's fine. But Villa obviously went out there with the kind of game plan to slow the game down as much as possible. And again, it worked, and it worked as well because the referee allowed it. But there's little moments that happen that really infuriate me. And it, it probably is a Liverpool supporter as well because teams generally try for Liverpool where they're trying to kill the momentum of the game and don't let them break, don't let them counter, um, which is obviously why you see a lot of professional fouls more often these days. And also why they're a yellow card, just rightly so. But the couple of little things that happens game after game, time again, and it eats up kind of precious you know, match time. Is it just a little innocuous foul? Guy clips a guy, guy falls on the ground, player picks up the ball, walks backwards, looks at the ref, goes, oh, yeah, ref, oh, was it free, was it? Yeah, throws the ball up into the air and wastes more time. Now, just to say that I'm not, you know, anyone else but Liverpool, James Milner did it the other day when he came on and he clattered someone out of it. The ball went over the sideline, he retrieved it and he walked back as far as his 18-yard box. There must have been about 50 seconds by the time they got to take the free kick. 
like 50 seconds. Like that must kill you if you're in the last three or four minutes of the game and you're chasing. And this gobshite has the ball in his hand while he's walking back in you. You look at any other code of football, look at the rugby. They make a mistake. Don't dare touch that ball again or get in the way because advantage is given to the, to the, to the team that deserves it. They shouldn't be allowed to touch the ball. The minute you give away that free, the advantage should be to the attacking team, put the ball down, play a quick free kick. And that goes for people standing in front of the ball and all the little things that go with it. So what, what, would, you, what would you introduce? Would you introduce an extra five, ten yard, like the, the rugby does, um, view waste time uh, I, like I, that, I tell you, I love step to a see. free kick maybe yeah. ten yards up the pitch or... Remember, I mean, back in the day, and going back to the day a lot today, but back in the day, you were able to kind of have stand in front of the ball, you know, for that second or two. You were told to do it. Geez, you were told to do it from a young age. Don't let them take a quick free kick. But this is more than that. Like, this is literally a guy making a foul, picking up a ball and walking away with the ball. Why is he even touching the ball? There should be a rule brought in. If you make a foul, the ball... Yeah, 20-yard <laughs> penalty, whatever it's getting. But the referee blows the whistle, it's a free. Nobody is allowed on the opposition to touch that ball until, you know, other than the players that, that that's given the free. You should be able to put it down and take a quick free kick. You should be able to stand around, argue, slow it down, and in particular, pick up the ball and walk away. It's a very, very simple thing to solve. You don't do it in any other sport code. You know, you wouldn't see it on the bloody... Uh, or the hurling, for example, the, the minute the free is given, they're rushing back to get back into position. So they should be made work for their money a little bit more. You give away a free, you, you pay the price back away. Um, and if the guys stand there, they interfere to get in your way, bring them 15, 20 yards up the field, whatever's necessary to stop it. Or just a basic yellow card. The yellow card system for kicking the ball away, I mean, has reduced the people doing that now. So maybe it's just a simple yellow card. You hold on, go and get, hold on to a ball when it's not your, in your possession, as in it's not your free kick. If you hold on to it, the referee can give you a yellow card and then I think people will do it less than that. So anyhow, Neil, hopefully we get that off your chest now and now we can focus feel that, on... Feel better already, Roy. That's good, that's good. <laughs> Dave? I, I, think, uh, I think, Roy, there's been too much retro football on the lockdown. That's what's killed it for Saul. <laughs> looking at the weights. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, uh, Dave how open is the top four race now do we go down as far as Arsenal who had a fantastic 3-1 win over Leicester at the weekend Take, let's pretend Man City aren't there and this is a different league table you'd have to say yeah with the form of everybody from Man United down to Arsenal like Arsenal were gone they've won two over the last three are they starting to make a tour and obviously a great win as well in the Europa League the other night are they going to go on a little three or four game run where if they do, they could easily be up in the sixth or seventh position only a point or two away? You probably have to say yes, weirdly, even though they're currently ten, uh, what, eight points behind West Ham. But the reason why I say you can't not rule them out because it is West Ham in, in fourth position. No disrespect to them. But somebody always falls out and you fully expect the potential to be them. Leicester obviously did it last year. And then United, there's no guarantee. Like, this is so unpredictable this year. And obviously, the, the record of United of, against the big boys came up and it's not very pretty. And it's very much make sure we don't lose against these guys and then open up against the others. Liverpool, you don't know what you're getting. Everton had a, a bit of a nice run, but then lost two in a row, got potentially winning this evening. Spurs were looking dead and buried. Now, all of a sudden, they've got Gareth Bale back to the way he used to be, allegedly. Villa have a couple of games in hand. Leicester, the interesting enough, Leicester blew up on Thursday, which I was very surprised about, and then obviously defeated at the weekend. So I think I think it is a case for having to go down as far as Arsenal. 
why not? Yeah, and I think Leicester have a few injuries now as well. So, uh, yeah, the, Brand, yeah. yeah, there's a few. I think they have about six or seven injuries, which is going to affect you at some stage. Neil, you were talking about West Ham and Everton. You suggested that these were poor teams, but still in with a chance. Is that a fair assessment? Well, I mean, traditionally, you know, you're never talking about West Ham in the top four. Like, that's almost criminal. Like, they're in fourth place now by right. And by, you know, there's, there's no one can deny it. They're ahead of Chelsea. They're ahead of Liverpool. And you've got to tip your hat to them. Um, and I think they're having a very, very good season. But in any kind of normal season, which obviously it's not, you know, West Ham aren't up there. Uh, but at the same time, are Liverpool down as low as they are? You know, is anything right this year? But... West Ham and Everton, I think, are good, solid sides. I think they're, you know, can be anywhere from mid-table to sixth. Um, I don't think I, I can remember recent memory whenever West Ham were in the top four or chasing top four or even in the conversation. But funnily enough, this year, I actually think... 1987. Could, there you go. Actually, this year, I think they have a great chance of, <laughs> of, if ever they did, of getting up there purely because they've got goals in them. They're well-organised. They seem to be... Uh, they just seem to be holding in there. Uh, they have this guy, Suchek, who's some sort of marvellous header of the ball, <laughs> uh, who's class. He just seems to get these deadly goals. Um, but there's something about them this year, and they're very, very solid. Everton are the same thing. There's nothing brilliant about them, even watching them there tonight. A lot of long balls, a lot of balls forward. But defensively, absolutely rock solid. Um, it isn't pleasing on the eye to watch. But sure, they won't give a monkey's once they keep winning games. Um, did you watch West weird, Ham? Weird did you season. watch the, the West Ham City game, Neil? I thought West Ham put themselves about really, really well, and they didn't. There wasn't long balls with West Ham. They were knocking the ball around very, very comfortably, and made life difficult for or for Manchester City, which a lot of teams haven't done. I'll tell you this much: I, when I say long ball, I definitely mean Everton and not West Ham. Everton are, are, can be hoofball at times, but they're very robust and compact, so they kind of get away with it. And to be fair to Everton, when they do hoof the ball, they do play Calvert-Lewin up there um, with a partner, you know, most of the time. So it's not like they're just hoofing it aimlessly. It, it is going to them. Whereas West Ham play lovely football. West Ham play through the flanks. Um, they, they do play a nice brand of ball as well as what, how they get on with Antonio and they can use him as a battering ram. I thought they did awful trouble to City there and City were very fortunate to get out of that with a win just to run the City around 20 wins. I mean, you know, sometimes you just score without even meaning to. Um, but yeah, West Ham gave a great account of themselves and it's not every time you see David Moyes um, playing a team like City and coming off afterwards literally disgusted that they didn't get a point out of it. So yeah, credit where it's due. Dave, Roy Keane and uh, Jamie Redknapp had a few words after just to entertain the whole uh, the whole of Europe. What did you make of the comments? Who's, who's kind of side did you sort of acknowledge mostly? I didn't really, uh, I wouldn't necessarily be on either team. I just thought Jamie when he was getting flustered where he's almost like looking to your man Dave Jones as if like, he was his dad or the teacher going, will you tell him to shut up? Like, there was, like, he was like, he talked once or twice and you're like, calm down and breathe. And this is this is an argument you could probably win. Like, team went in and went for it. Fair enough. But you could have a go here. Like, it was fairly open. He literally jumped in and said there was no one of any use and then he realised, uh, apart from Sonic Games. And that was the last minute thing. He, I don't think his intention was to say their names at all until he realised. Um, 
does that does that does that epitomize Roy Keane? He he actually had yeah. an argument there that could have been overturned by someone who was a little bit more stronger uh, oh, yeah. uh, about it. But he and because he did say there's no top class players there, and he brought up Harry Kane yeah. and Son, and Keane backed it, backed up and went, yeah, no, they are there in fairness there. And then he went uh, the left full, and Keane agreed as well. And he kind of had Keane backing up, but. Kane, just Keane came out fighting and, and, and kind of rolled him over with pure brute force yeah just not backing down like especially the international comment anyone who could trap a ball could be an international like, like it, just take a breath for a second and just say you're talking out your arse like you know in, in that instance it's just it's what he does it's what he's good at and it's what we love to watch and there's no denying it but it is true there's a lot of there's a lot of guff, but not a lot of substance behind some of it. And in this instance, it definitely was one of them. And well, let's like have a I look said, at the team. He was talking about the team being an, a, a, just an average side. Yeah, I, I, I they're in eighth place. Are they not just yeah. an average side at the moment? I mean, West Ham are in fourth. Neil's calling them poor. So <laughs> they, 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 could, they must be, they must be brutal. Aye, but listen, Spurs are a bit like everyone else this year. Came and missed them for a while, and therefore Spurs disappeared for a while. And then they've been they've been lacking injuries, uh, lacking players with injuries as well. Like pretty much the whole uh, the whole squad. Bale allegedly hasn't been fit all season. All of a sudden, but he's been fit for one game, and now he's the world's best player again. Yeah, playing Burnley though, well. isn't they? So it's not as if he's yeah, asked to rock the world. What if, what if it's true? You know, you never know. But like, he's right to an extent. But at the same time, you can't just say they are littered with international stuff, and that you can't just uh, disrespect <laughs> certain countries. Now, as I said. Redknapp's argument back was poor, but somebody a bit more worth their salt could have said, listen, take it down a notch here. Don't be so dramatic. They are, some of these players are good players. Whatever's going on at, 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 at Spurs, you know, have a look at it and tell, and, and, and not question me or question Redknapp. Question Keane. Tell me exactly why. Don't, because a lot of what he says, and this is why he's a pad manager. When you listen to him, and even yesterday, it's all about mentality. And mentally this, and mentally that, and just it, it, all the easy stuff, the stuff that I was in, as I'm, I'm talking like him. But like what he needs fails to remember is not everyone is like him, and that's the problem with certain managers. That's why Hoddle struggled when he was at the very start of Swindon. One player said to him, "But I'm not you," and all of a sudden the light bulb went off, and he realised they're not like me. We're not; they're all different. And Keane just now, this is what you have to do because that's what I did, and that's what the majority of United did. That's a freak of a side who are brilliant and it will never be emulated potentially ever again. And Keane just sits there, ah, yeah, that's just lazy. Yeah, of course it is. But, like, it's, I'm not justifying what other people are doing, but it's just, all oh, this is how you do it, and that's it. And what you might be saying is right, but not everyone is like that. Otherwise, it would be a very boring world. And he doesn't admit it. He'll never admit it. Obviously, he trashed Doherty as well, but that's the thing with him. They're all bang average. Once they're sitting in eight, he, he can easily sit behind, look at the league table, and he's right. But there is better than that. There is a few good players in that side, and it's very easy to hide behind the league table. But when you really sit down and have a, have a quiet conversation and calm conversation, don't get flustered by him pushing you. You, you could you could, uh, you could crack it a little bit with, without a shadow of a doubt. Neil, was Jamie Redknapp struggling because he didn't really have much of an argument that maybe Keane's argument was, you know, more viewful as in you can see that they're struggling in the league they're kind of struggling their way through the Europa League. They haven't won anything since, you know, years. And they don't win things. And it's very easy to make 
you know, I think Keane's point is they they are and have always been just an average side. They have never, bar you go back into the seventies, ever had a decent side. Yeah, I, well, I think Redknapp's problem, first and foremost, is is that he's not very articulate at the end of the day, and he got caught in a situation where even the commentator had to say to him, "Jamie, take a breath," which was hilarious because he was just getting flustered; he couldn't believe it. But also, I don't think he was really ready to be kind of attacked live on air like that. And like he went out there to give an objective view or his view. And all of a sudden he got hit with this question and literally just went, oh my God, what am I going to say here? Well, he's emotionally attached to Spurs because he used to play for them. And he tried to fight back a little bit. Uh, ironically, I was actually listening to Roy Keane's uh, best moments today on YouTube. And there was one moment where they played Spurs and uh, Harry Maguire got done for pace and De Gea made a mistake for the goal. And Roy Keane's words were, I'm sick of these lads. They're established internationals. They shouldn't be making these mistakes, which literally goes against everything that he just said about sports. You know, yeah. so if it's good for Harry Maguire, it's good for Does it though? Does he, did he not say that? Viral. Did he not say that um, most players are, are getting international caps now? So you have to be really bad not to get an international yeah, cap. Yeah, well, I mean, well, Redknapp was talking specifically about the likes of Valderviral. Um, maybe Sanchez obviously is Colombia but Alderweireld's man has been part of the Belgian team and a stalwart in that team and a very important player so Redknapp almost had him by kind of going look Roy he'd get into your Manchester United team which is Alderweireld and Keane was kind of uh, mm, but he wasn't he actually wasn't getting into the, he wasn't getting onto the, into the Spurs team recently either no and he wasn't and you see look it's, it's a losing battle when you're talking about Spurs purely because at the end of the day you can still beat them with the stick that you haven't won anything mm. it doesn't matter what players you have yeah. what you've done at the moment it doesn't matter what manager you have you're still being tired with that brush of Spursy very easy to bring it up very easy to wind them up with it and you can't argue with it because until they get that monkey off their back uh, it isn't going to change and if you look at Liverpool pre-winning that Champions League with Klopp the pressure was absolutely huge until he won that moment. What did he reach five, six finals and lose them all and they kept bringing it up? You just can't get rid of that tag until you break your duck. And Spurs are in that mode. Even with Mourinho, who's won so much, they're in that mode at the moment where they need to win something so that people can kind of move on from that conversation. Dave. You've got a chance, thanks, Paul. Yeah, Dave, what about Spurs? If they win the... the the League Cup, if you want to call it the League Cup, if they win, yeah. if they win that, doesn't really change much, does it? It's it, it's they'll put it down as well. You've won that before. It's only a League Cup. Do they need to oh, go on and, and win something substantial like the Europa League then, just to get that real sort of monkey off their back? Let's be honest. If you want to get into that bracket, yes, of course you do. But like Spurs aren't. Spurs are trying to break into top four. They're like what Liverpool were trying to do for 15, 20 years, like. They flirted with the top four for a couple of seasons in the mid-2000s where we, we flipped in 2005. But we soon got spat out of that group because it's a very tough group to be in. But you can be in it for a little while, but you have to start looking to win. So it's easy to bash them, but it's, it's hard to do. So they were in the top table as in the top four in the 15th Champions League for a couple of years and they had a chance against the group a year ago. But in order to really get into that elite side of things, uh, where your cities are and arguably Liverpool, you have to win something. And for for Spurs historically, have won very very little or nothing other than that League Cup back in ten or fifteen years ago. And then before that, it was the ninety one FA Cup, uh, the famous Gaza one. Um, 
So realistically, a League Cup for them is still a big trophy because it's a bloody trophy considering they, they, they win so little. So it would be a big thing. And then you're obviously still in the Europa League as well and you never know with that. So, yeah, for them, for Spurs and their current lack of honour, a League Cup is a big one. Yeah, all the all the, the, the arrogant sides like the United and Cities and Liverpool can say, oh, come back when you win a real trophy. But for Spurs, they should be quite happy to take anything. Yeah, I threw the League Cup in there for our middle-aged rant uh, podcast today. Yeah. Okay, uh, Neil, <laughs> a topic you also wanted to bring up was the after-match comments from Luke Shaw and Solskjaer about the penalty that wasn't given. Firstly, do you think it was a penalty or not? Uh, in today's standards, yeah, it was a penalty. Uh, his arm shouldn't have been up that high. I don't know why his arm is up there. Anyway, look, he was trying to get his balance or whatever, but... Uh, I think it was probably a penalty by today's standards. I think Alan Shearer hit the nail on the head during the night match today. He said, I hate that they could be considered a penalty. It shouldn't be a penalty. But when you've seen what's been given this year, um, I think it was a penalty, yeah. Dave? Um, yeah, very surprised it wasn't given. Um, there was that brief moment when it's really slowed down where it almost looked like either... The United player touched it or the United player pushed Hudson Adai's hand. It was just very millisecond kind of thing. And when you look at it first, you go, oh, look at that. But, but in fairness, it touches the hand. It's obvious it does. And in this day and age and, and all season, I, I was convinced it was going to be a penalty. But for me, it's it's one of two things. It's like if, it, if the ref said what he said, he should be off the roster and he should be potentially never back again. Or if he didn't say it and Shaw got his wires crossed, well, he needs to be reprimanded. He needs to be classed as given a red card and get a couple of couple of couple of matches in the cooler because it's just ridiculous. Like, like that can't just go unnoticed. It has to be proven, and if it's not proven, well, then he needs to be dealt with. It's it's just crazy. Well, there's not but, going uh, to be any it, retrospective it, it, action on that. That's being cleared tonight. So, for for none, for referees or or the managers or players, uh, Dave, is it dangerous to Neil? was looking to talk about a dangerous precedent to purposely come out and attack refs uh, on their mentality, giving penos, etc. But it's not really a precedent. It's happened many, many a time before. And I suppose, I think Solskjaer came out with him saying that Lampard had been doing it in the game they played yeah. near the start of the season. I think, Neil, you were saying Klopp had suggested it as well and that they've only got two penalties since that. So... Dave, this is not something that's new and it's really it's always gone on in the game, hasn't it? It's always gone on in the game, but Luke Shaw basically saying that the referee bottled it because he didn't want the controversy. That's new. And that's questioning the integrity of your ref who's there to protect the laws of the game, let alone like it's a ba- like you're basically saying the re- like he's basically alluding to it. like these managers hint at stuff and that's what they do for years and Fergie was brilliant at it and they all were about oh, they always get preferential treatment here, or Fergie time, and this, that, and the other, and now oh, it's getting ridiculous, you know, they're being looked after all these penalties, which is nonsense as it is. But they're planting the seed in order to put a bit of pressure on the rest, and managers do it all the time. But this is, in my opinion, it's a statement that I've never heard before, a bit of passion after a game, maybe. But he basically came out and said, yeah, he said it to Harry Maguire that I, I couldn't give it because I didn't want the controversy. Like, like that's a stackable offence and probably shouldn't be a rep again if that is true. Like it's I, that, that's a question the integrity of the game and maybe it's been a bit of a, a goody two shoes here, but it's just you know one thing you you don't do is call a ref a cheat, but if you do, you better make sure you're right because 
it's, it goes against what they should be. So if he's done that, and he's, he better get the punishment he deserves. But I also think so should Luke Shaw. I think it's dangerous because in this day and age, and you know, with a couple, of, I think one of our rugby correspondents was talking about the stick that your one Sonia's getting. Like that ref could be getting some god awful abuse over the last two days, and who knows where death threats and everything else if if it was true. And he, he probably is getting it, and none of us know it yet. But it's shocking uh, if he did that, and he deserves to be punished. But if he didn't, I think Luke Shaw deserves what he should because I've never heard a manager saying something that late, in my opinion. And Please tell me I'm wrong, but I, I've never. It's all hints and seed dropped and planting little seeds and little hints, but never kind of going, yeah, he just bottled it because he didn't want the controversy. Wouldn't well, all these, Roy, they have um, kind of press, uh, you know, people looking after their press and what they can say. And, you know, most people are going to go in front of the camera after a game. You know, they're probably prompted and they're, you know, told what to say, what not to say. Um, I don't know if you ever watched them. Liverpool do very good ones, kind of inside Anfield, where they go behind the scenes before the matches and after. And they have a press officer when they're leaving. So they say, for example, Trent scored and Firmino scored. They might, they'll ask for two or three of these guys to go into the room and interview them. And then the press officer will brief them on what they should be saying, you know, give them a couple of little tips and stuff like that. So from the reason why I brought it up as a concern is because for so many United players all to come out and all kind of sing the same hymn sheet and really go after this ref on the comments, that sets a very, very dangerous precedent that they they decided to kind of, look, we're going to stick it in here and we're going to really stick the boot in hard. You know, that, as Dave was saying, that absolutely causes uh, ripples after that, be it for the referee online, be it for the referee's future games. Um, and you can't really question that kind of integrity. If it's not true, it, it's it's hugely damaging and if it is true it's equally as damaging in, in another way um, but a lot more of this kind of gameplay is happening now they, they, United were blaming Klopp when Klopp came out and made a big deal saying you know Liverpool haven't got any penalties man you know you've got 100 penalties and then all of a sudden Is that not though is that not insinuating uh, Neil that referees are in a way cheating by giving them penalties that aren't penalties as well Do you know what it is I, I definitely think they're influenced and I think if they weren't influenced you know, as Dave said there, back as far as Sir Alex Ferguson, if referees were never influenced by comments off the ball, no one would ever say these comments. So it kind of proves that they are true insofar as the so referees... Alex Ferguson, hasn't managed, Alex Ferguson hasn't managed in the last 10 years nearly. So it's nothing not, not yeah, really to do with that now. It's always that kind of carry-on, yeah. You know, it, it kind of gets inherited from that because he was kind of the master of the mind games. When he used to say something, people used to stand up and take notice because they're like, whoa, Fergie said it. But these days, it is said a lot more. But if you look at what Klopp said about uh, United penalties that time, that was very, very premeditated. He had the stats in his mind. He knew what he was doing. Mm. And that definitely does have an effect because if it's a borderline decision and that ref thinks, man, the pressure is coming down on me, if that's enough just to sway him 1% to the left, that's a, that's that's wrong. Yeah. Okay. We'll leave that one there. Just on penalties in general that are being given, Dave, when you look at the penalties that are being given now and, and, and the ones that aren't, including that one there the other day for Manchester United against Chelsea, there's a big problem with anyone understanding what is handball now and what isn't handball. The, the the referee's authority now in a game is being undermined because referees now are being told to go over to look at a, a television on the side of the thing, on the side of the pitch, 
in the knowledge that, okay, listen, he's telling me that I probably got this wrong. So now when they're going over to look at the camera, they're kind of going, having to go, well, yeah, yeah, okay, I got it wrong. Nearly been told, you know, to, to, to give an answer. Then it was questioned on different sports channels and I remember Match of the Day. And then immediately after that, twice in a row, when the, the referee went over to the sideline, he went against VAR. And I'm just wondering, there seems to be a, no authority for referees and, you know, very under the influence of social media, of television and generally VAR and everyone else. They're not actually, there's no authority there for a referee. He's just there and no authority. It could be looked at in a couple of ways. The, the, the respect isn't really there as much as it used to be with, the, with, with players and managers and everything that we're talking about. But to be honest, there's an arrogance and it's okay to be wrong. Like this bloody game is so fast. And what's the harm in being called over to say, have another look at it? I'm unsure. Like, mic them up and talk. Like, it's, it's okay. If you get it wrong, mate, guess what? As long as we make the right decision now and the good of the game can carry on. Like, what is the problem? Is the problem not, the, is the problem not that the VAR problem? are getting quite a good few wrong in that regard? Absolutely, if they are, they are. But, like, you ask me about, like, referees coming over, that must mean I must have got it wrong. But if you did, mate, so what? Change your mind and give it away or whatever. Don't just change your mind. Because remember everyone saying, once you went over to the screen, that's it. They always change their mind. And then all of a sudden they stop. Oh, I better, I better be seen to be making my own decision. Make your own decision. Like, here's the whole point, and this is why it's, it's potentially on the knife edge. EA is assisted. He's there to assist, and they shouldn't be necessarily involved in decisions. It still should be up to the referee. All it does is kind of help the ref to make the final decision going, I gave it a penalty because of this. Is that is that the way? Did I get it right? Or can you confirm the handball? Or can you confirm that I think it was a dive? Can you confirm that I think there was contact and it was a penalty? And they just say, should say yes or no. And if they can't make the decision or they can't reconfirm it, I'm unsure. Do you want to have another look yourself? And that's it. Like, that's how simple it could and should be. And I'm baffled that they can't do it. They're the ones who know the laws of the game 10 times more than us. But they can't do it. It's a piss-score show for English officiates and potentially other countries because the English game is the one I watch the most. But they are shocking that they can't do it in a, in a structured manner I think half of them don't want it. I think they're trying to make a half of them. I think maybe they'll be trying to hobble it to get rid of it because they don't want it. But don't be egos because some of them have them. Like, relax. Let's just make the right decision. Who cares if you miss it or not? Just make the fucking right decision. I don't see why they can't make it work or make it look better than what it is. They're making a joke of it and I'm blaming the officials and officials only. I think it's farcical. The, uh, the constant change of the rules. Don't change the rules. Just make the right call. You know, I, I, I just don't get it. It's, it's, they're, they're making a mockery of it and half of me thinks are someone I'm trying to do on purpose to get rid of it. I don't get it. It was always said, Dave, that if a referee wasn't taught about or talked about it after a game, he'd yeah. done a wonderful job. I think that says it all, doesn't it? Correct. Okay, Correct. We, we'll, leave, no. we'll, we'll leave it that on that one because uh, we're getting as angry as, as Neil. Um, okay, John Joe Shell... <laughs> John Joe Shelby is adamant (laughs) ex-Liverpool player John Joe Shelby is adamant he'll never play for Leeds because of their tireless work rate in a hilarious rant about Bielsa's side 
The Whites are renowned for working their socks off during matches with manager Bielsa having a training game called Murderball. Shelby was on the losing side as Leeds lost to 2-1 to Newcastle and he could not believe the amount of pointless running his opponents did. We obviously played Leeds at St. James's Park about a month ago now and that Rodrigo fellow was in the middle. He was meant to be playing centre midfield but he was all over the place. I said to him, geez, can you not just stand there for a minute because you're just running around like a nutcase. Some of them was just pointless, absolutely pointless. But he said, I must do, I must do. My manager say I must do. I just could not play for Leeds. Now, does that say a lot about John Joe Shelby or Leeds now? Uh, well, considering that's the first time I've heard that, right? You're catching me off the pyre. But yeah, um, I think it says a lot about both. I say, I think... You know, Bielsa last year, I did a little bit of research on him because I did an article on him earlier on in the year. And I mean, he expects his side to come off that field and have literally emptied the tank. Uh, his sides are renowned for being full throttle. Um, people were questioning when they came to the Premier League, could they keep up that pace across 38 games? Uh, I think they have. Um, I know they fall short at times, but it's not due to lack of effort. Um, the second half, they come on very, very strong. Despite you would imagine if they were going at that pace in the first half, you think they'd run out of steam, but they don't. Um, so I think it's justified in the amount of work he wants his side to do. But I think, uh, off the top of my head, I think that also shows up Shelby as maybe not having the appetite to want to do that running. Um, he maybe has a point for, you know, as in unnecessary runs or when you're just doing it for the sake of it. Obviously, they shouldn't be doing that. There has to be a kind of a happy medium. Um, but yeah, it probably shows that Shelby is someone that doesn't really want to do the hard work and the hard graft. Um, yeah, for me, I, I think Shelby probably comes off the worst on it. Dave, Leeds is a successful season this year. They're mid-table. That would probably, they probably would have taken that there at the start of the season, wouldn't they? 100%. Um, and I 100% agree with, with, with Neil at the end. Yeah, it says more about Shelby, to be honest. But uh to be honest, I think Leeds, it's, it's like, yeah, 111, lost 13, very middle of the road. But the reason why they're not in trouble compared to others, people say, oh, they're reckless and they concede loads of goals. They try and win every game. And they work their arse off. And because they try and win every game, when they're playing people at their same level, they probably tend to beat them more often. Now, the better sides might still pick them off, but the better sides pick off everybody. So Leeds is more positive attitude, in my opinion. It's got them more points in games than, obviously, who the guys are at the bottom because it's very much, let's go up to the big boys and just avoid defeat or get rob a draw or don't get hammered. But then, unfortunately, they play that way in a lot of games, very safely course. So I lead, just go for it. And that's why they have 11 victories, you know, 33 points, 11, and then obviously two draws. And that's why they're safe and that's why they're looking down on the rest of them because they've been positive and tried to win every game they play. And obviously, sometimes it blows up in their face, but I think that's down to, obviously, they need to improve their players. Maybe it is a bit reckless and whatever but in relation to say surviving in the Premier League it's for one other reason no other reason than they've been positive and, and, and tried to win games instead of playing weary defensive minded football that all the boys at the bottom do and then they scratch their head while they get relegated OK we're going to leave it at that then uh, plenty more football coming up we have international football coming up soon as well so there's a lot to look forward to and of course the European Championship <laughs> more, more average players playing football um, we'll, we'll leave it at that so Neil thanks very much for your time David same to you Pleasure, thanks, boys. Guys.